1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do it yourself, self guided public land elk hunting learning curve resource. Where we leverage hunting to create more personal development our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work delayed gratification and being accountable to themselves and we're live welcome to the elk Shade podcast with me dan the fitness man i appreciate you guys tuning in you got lots of options i recognize that so i want to recognize you thank you so We're going to sit down and talk to Ryan Petzold today. He's just your run-of-the-muck nerd who discovered elk hunting and just dove in head first. And he dove deep. He ended up coming to elk shape camp. He ended up elk hunting solo his very first archery season this year. We go over all the things he learned, what he put to use, what tactics, how he did it. He went from somebody who has no mentorship Nobody to teach him the ropes, and he went for it. I love everything about Ryan. He's a family man, he's a number cruncher, he's a research, he's an analyst, he's a good dude. In fact, he sponsored a spot for Elk Shape Camp 3.0. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. I'm really excited to get him on today and I appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day. Let's go over a couple of quick happenings and get to the podcast. Elk Shape Camp 3.0, oh, Spokane, Washington. That's coming up, registration is still open. Get yourself registered if that's something that's gonna help you crush the elk hunting learning curve. We're bringing Ryan Lampers to the very first one, Jeff Bynum, and then obviously the main crew at Spokane Valley Archery. A lot of fitness on this one, it's gonna be good. And then we move right to Oregon, that's in Redmond. We're also gonna be at level five CrossFit in Sisters, Oregon. Both those places are within 20 minute drives. It's gonna be awesome, I hope we sell that camp out. We'll have the information for the Texas camps. We're gonna be doing two, and then we're gonna go right into Wisconsin, Colorado, and end in Vancouver, Washington. Can't wait to meet all of you. I hope you can get to a camp. The early bird registration price is 3 dollars then it bumps to 4 dollars after that. So get involved, get dedicated. It's competitive and you need a leg up. This is your advantage. We are your catalysts. We are going to help you evolve everything and you're going to elevate everything, including your faith, your family, your fitness, your finances, and hopefully your elk hunting. Without further ado, this is Ryan Petzold, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Today we are recording with a guy who actually came to Elk Shape Camp and took all his knowledge and went to the mountains. And we're going to check in and see how it went. What he learned about himself, what he learned about elk hunting, and what questions he might have, creating a roadmap for 2020. Ryan Petzold from Washington, what's up, buddy?
3: Hey, how's it going, man?
2: Dude, it's good. I mean, I'm doing this, so I can't complain. Yeah. this is my job to I'm talk elk this. hunting. I'm,
3: yeah, I'm talking elk hunting as opposed to sitting at a desk looking at Excel. So you know.
2: Yeah. Good, good. good afternoon. We got to get everybody up to speed on you, so let me try not to embarrass you. But So you came to the second, you came to Elk Shape 2.0, and I remember you stood out right away on the very first evening, we kind of set aside Friday evening for, at your camp, we set aside for like literally technical archery, what to look for if your bow's out of tune, how to mark it up setups for elk and i thought you asked some pretty deep technical questions kind of stood out from everybody else and i could just tell right away like whoa this guy over here is kind of nerdy but in like the best way ever nerdy and then i watched you go through the camp hell you even did pretty darn good on the fitness stuff to my surprise i thought you were a little bit of a i don't know a, a a guy who was fit for the cubicle not for the mountains, and you did pretty good. You ended up really getting some good coaching and archery that you had never had before. You were shooting a right-handed bow. You were left-eye dominant. And you ended up just committing at camp and buying a whole new setup right then and there. And I remember distinctly Saturday, after just watching you shoot your new bow, your groups tightened up immediately. And then the rest of the weekend, you were just really uh intent on getting your questions answered and soaking up knowledge i was really excited to hear how you did this year so before we go there give us a little background on you ryan tell us about you and and what you're all about
3: so i'm actually um like my passion and we kind of talked about this my passion was like fly fishing for steelhead spay casting specifically so like you had joe rotor on I don't know, a long time ago. And actually I know Joe back in the day, like we kind of traveled in the same circles and both like fly fishing bums and he's an elk bum as well. And I'm just a fly fishing bum, but um, just the state of like steelhead fishing and no fish and too many people. And it just kind of took all the fun, fun out of it. It was like my passion. I grew up fly fishing for steelheads. So needed to find something that had kind of the same, the same challenge, the same difficulty that required the same dedication, but I could enjoy again because steelheading just became, it just wasn't fun anymore. So, um, you know, decided that um, elk Cunning was saw. I remember I saw actually a video. I think it was like a PNY Wild video. First time it was the first like my introduction. To elk Cunning. I saw their YouTube video. And thought ah, that's actually really cool. Wow, that's interesting. That's amazing. And then. Kind of was like started googling around, looking around because, like you said, I'm a nerd. So ran across <laughs> Corey Jacobson, elk 101. Kind of watched that. I was like, wow, this is actually really freaking cool. This is what I want to do. Um, and so that was last year, so a year ago. Um, I knew I wouldn't be able to dedicate enough time in short order to to uh, to get the bow down. So tackled Western Washington elk with with a muzzleloader uh, early last October ran across a lot of sign. I mean, I I knew there were elk around, um, gave me a lot of confidence. I could find them just didn't, didn't see any, but it was, you know, Western Washington, a lot of people, terrible weather, but I came back from that and I was like, I'm changed. This is what I'm going to do. Right. So, um, I kind of think of a way like elk hunting right now is kind of like my mistress. So I'm always kind of like going to be a steelhead bum at heart, but, um, it's kind of the, the secret love that I have that nobody knows about.
2: Yeah, I like that. Good description. So
3: you are, you are married, right? Correct. Yes. Kids? I have, I have a daughter that actually turned two in, uh, September, right? Late, late, late September. Yeah. So if I would have, when we were planning the whole family thing, if I would have known that elk hunting would be my new passion, I probably wouldn't have planned to have a kid in September. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so my wife understands and, uh, she actually, it's, it's amazing. She's two and she absolutely loves elk. So I come home and, she looks at me, and she says, elk, elk, and elk on your phone, and wants to, like, look at pictures of elk. So she's spent a lot of time, we spent a lot of time together, even when she was 18 months old, watching, like, Born and Raised videos and seeing elk hunting, and she's just freaking loves it. She has a lot of elk stuff already. It's pretty amazing.
2: That's so cool.
3: And so you're an Excel spreadsheet.
2: Are you a a white-collar, you know, 10-key accountant? What are you doing?
3: I So I do um, kind of investment investment analysis, so I uh, work for BlackRock, which some may be aware of largest asset manager kind of in the world and, um, look for funds for us to invest in. So spend a lot of time buried in Excel worksheets, numbers, just being like you said, the nerd that I am.
2: Right. So I love that. Oh man. But yeah. You are nerdy, but in like the best way. And what I mean by that is like, you're all or none. I guess that's what it's like. I like your commitment. Like you're just like, let's do this. Oh, I'm not supposed to be shooting a right-handed bow. Okay. What bow should I get? And you just, you went for it. Um, I like that, man. Dive off the deep end and both feet. So we, we got to go back to elk shape camp a little bit to kind of lead into your season in Montana. For those that don't know, I'm going to hammer elk shape camp because I'm going to try to make a living being an elk hunter. And in order to do that, I got to sell out camps. And the return on that is I get to help people get their first elk or help them conquer the learning curve or create more success. And then all the while, hopefully they they figure it out that it's not about elk hunting. Ultimately, it's about becoming the best possible version of yourself without being cheesy about it. It's really true. And so I'm really curious to what you got out of Elk Shape Camp so folks can kind of understand what you were armed with when you went into the Montana mountains.
3: So, I mean, it was a ton, right? So I think first, obviously it's, it's the, the fitness component of it. And like, I was telling you kind of email, like last year at like 6,000 feet, I was gassed. I just, it was the elevation. I was so out of shape. This year I was doing, I was eight, 9,000 feet, just, you know, humping it up mountains. And yeah, I was a little tired and, uh, you know, but like, I was able to do and go everywhere that I wanted to go without a problem, which was freaking awesome. Um, And then obviously it was the shooting. It was all the the technical help. It was, you know, it was obviously Dirk and and the bugling. I mean, there's just, I mean, everything was, was incredible and and learned so much. I think actually the biggest takeaway I had from it, or what was kind of most surprising is that not being a hunter and being like this kind of like old nerdy guy, I guess you could say, and going in with a bunch of guys I thought were, you know, had experience and you know shooting bows for years and and, and such and like everyone was freaking awesome like it was very intimidating going to that environment because I just wasn't familiar with it and everyone was so cool so friendly so to me that was actually the biggest surprise and like the community is like phenomenal right the people that I got to meet and chat with everybody's just like open arms to help you out share ideas um both in terms of the, uh, the campers, and then obviously as well as the instructors, right? So just just no pretension at all. It was awesome. Did you stay in
2: touch with anybody after camp?
3: Um, I've chatted a little bit with, with, with Jeff Bynum after camp. Um, we kind of went back and forth on some stuff, and we're kind of similar industries. And, um, like, I admit, like, I'm bad with keeping in touch with people. Like, I'm just – it's just who I am. Um, and, and so I've got it on my list to, like, reach out to people. But I've been, like, following – everybody kind of on Instagram and like seeing everybody's success is freaking awesome. And you know, obviously there's like a little bit of jealousy there cause I didn't down an animal. But, um, uh, the vast majority of me is like super excited to see like all the success. It gives me like confidence that, you know, next year that it's just, it's another year under my belt. It's just more experience that it'll, it'll come. Right?
2: No doubt. So we talked about, you know, the fitness component and the nutrition component, is easily the, the thing that I can coach because I, the best, because that's all I've done my whole life. And I've actually figured out somehow to lean on fitness to help me kill elk and to make up for maybe it's a lack of wit or instinct or just pure unadulterated shooting ability or calling ability. I'm not the guy, Ryan, to enter an elk calling champ championship or i'm not the guy to go try to compete at archery i'm the guy that is trying to basically chase down elk and kill them and try to be a savage in the mountains and you said something that you felt kind of limitless in the mountains and i like that so being able to hump the hills and go wherever the bugles take you and figure out once you kill an elk what how the hell you're going to get it out that's that's the fun part but as far as the technical archery stuff goes, I think people overlook that. I mean, I can get you in great shape. Dirt can teach you how to call and really be an elk whisperer. But if you can't execute a shot under duress or if your equipment fails you and it's something you could have caught, that's the, to me, I feel like that's why we start with archery first. So, what are you working on? leading up to this year's season. And now that you've been out there, what are you going to work on archery wise to elevate your game?
3: I think the biggest thing is just consistency, right? So is just shoot, shoot, shoot. I was doing that kind of leading up to it. And I think a thing I didn't do soon enough was I was just like shooting field points and field points. And I went to go pull up the broadheads and I was like, Oh, okay, this is like different. So, um, I spent like 10 days to two weeks shooting field shooting broadheads and if I were to do it over again what I'll do next year and I tell anybody that's new to this is hit the broadheads early that's at least from my experience because when you have so much confidence to go hey at 30 yards 40 yards I got this like I can do this and then you go like with a week to two weeks before you leave and you go to shoot your first broadhead and it doesn't hit anywhere you expect it to like it like sucks the confidence out of you so that was like number one number two was is that seeing how helpful Josh and everyone was at Spokane Valley Archery and thinking about, you know, what a great resource they are, but like I live six hours from them or five hours from them. So the other thing that I'm focused on is being able to really kind of be self-sufficient at home is be able to like work on my bow, work on build arrows, tinker, you know, make sure that I don't have to go to a shop if like, you know, I need something, you know, something modified or something fails. So that's kind of like in terms of, Like archery, those are my two things I'm I'm focused on, Um, and both of those I think you know are very important. But the technical, you know, just the 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 day with those guys, those guys are so patient and and were so helpful in terms of letting me get me to shoot hands, shoot different bows. Super cool, laid back. Um, I was so new to this and I felt so comfortable, you know, with them and letting them kind of like kind of guide me, I guess you could say. Yeah.
2: After doing two camps now, I think the biggest things I've seen with people and their bows, just talking bows not even all the bad habits that we have to correct when it comes to shooting a bow is number one, like there's a reason why I try to get everyone to get brand new strings at the camp because strings stretch and you need to have the right strings that are gonna fight off stretch and they're gonna keep your bow tuned as long as possible. So strings are like so important besides just a good basic bow. And then messing with that arrow rest Right before you go out to do your hunt, I don't like that. So I slap broadheads on and get my bows tuned in spring, and then I roll right into bear season, and the broadheads just don't come off. Now, I go through a lot more archery targets than the average guy, and that's because the broadheads chew them up. But it is really nice to be able to just have the confidence going in, knowing that this is what you have been shooting non-stop and then as far as um, making some marks on your bow just to know what are your measurements what is your brace height measurement and you can double check that in the field Where where are your cams at are they in time did your string stretch how do your cables look all that stuff so We get into that pretty deep because that's screwed many bow hunters over before Why they finally get to the field. So that's cool to hear you say all that. And and I'm going to hold you to it to keep shooting year round, even when it's rainy and gross in Issaquah. As far as your elk season, let's get, let's just dive into it, Ryan. Like when, when did you take off? What days did you have set aside? Let's get as detailed as possible without giving away exactly where you hunted, because we can't do that here.
3: Yeah, no, totally get it, man. So um, I left, I drew in, you know, Montana elk tag, just general tag, um, which I thought was pretty cool, and so I kind of set aside September 16th, and kind of left it open-ended. Thereafter, we had a family kind of, uh, my wife's aunt and uncle had their 50th wedding anniversary party on that Sunday, so I couldn't miss that, so... Left early, early Friday morning. Drove all day, um, kind of southwestern Montana, and kind of had plans to, to be able to stay for the following two weeks. My daughter, we we had a we had a pony party scheduled for her, like that last Sunday in September. So I kind of set set it up that I could hunt like nine to ten days, um, but then leave a few days extra in case I got an animal down on the last day and needed a few days to get it out and get back. I didn't want to I didn't want to push anything. So um, drove over. So hunted like this this. Latter part, like the 16th, and then through the following Wednesday. Um, and, you know, I had area after area after area because I'm a nerd, right? So, love the e scouting, had tons of areas marked, um, drove over and just, just started hitting it, hitting my spots. I think if you listen to like Corey Jacobson or any of these other guys, like they talk about having a plan and having multiple areas marked. And that was really beneficial, just given, you know, whether it be people, whether it be weather whether it be walking into an area that looks phenomenal on like Google earth and onyx and you get in there and you're like not seeing any sign and being able to like just quickly pivot was was huge that was like super beneficial for me um so yeah I kind of started there you know most spots I walked into I was seeing seeing sign and hearing bugles and I really had a lot of confidence I was going to find an animal it sounds like I experienced what I think you did, and a lot of people did. And the weather was just freaking awful. It was just miserable weather for the first like four or five days that week, which made it which made it tough. And you know, mentally, it kind of wears on you just being like wet every single day.
2: Um, no, it was it was terrible. And I'm yeah, you're you're not kidding. Especially like, did you have a camper or what was your camp set
3: So my actually my, my father-in-law, who's old like big hunter from Alaska, like your quintessential Alaska mountain man like grew up hunting like yeah or trapping beavers and hunting moose in Alaska my wife was never allowed to watch Bambi because there's always dead animals hanging in the garage when she was growing up but um he's in his late 70s and has uh fought cancer for a number of years and just doesn't have the stamina to get around but he, he kind of wants to be be there for me because he was so excited to hear that I was going to like start hunting so he actually uh towed our trailer over um, and kind of set up camp and if I got an animal down an emergency something happened he could, he could kind of be there for me so um, but my plan was was just to kind of like base camp it um, in a tent or, or bivvy it was kind of the, the idea um, but so the first really the first full day I I walked in like three miles three and a half miles camped um, and just didn't see sign where I expected to see sign so um, headed on out went to another area and that's actually when the rains hit so Um, it was nice. He wasn't too far from where I was. So the first, after that night, the first, those next three nights, I, I retreated to the trailer to, uh, take advantage of the heat and and dry my clothes off. Um, so that was super helpful. I will say, um, for all those that, and I think I mentioned this to you, that, uh, that rely upon in-reach. I always just clip the in-reach to the back of my backpack and it got ripped off. It got, it got ripped off because I figured you get better reception. I don't think you do. Um, it ripped off going through climbing over deadfall. So I got to my went to go sit down, take a break, and I looked and it was gone, right? And so the thing about inReach is if you have it, everyone knows you have it, so people expect to hear from you. So I spent a couple hours, like, thankfully, you know, Mark, you know, I, I was keeping my tracks on Onyx is slowly working my way back down from where I came from, looking for that and managed to uh, to to find it, which was which was which is a lifesaver. So um, just less less there's lesson learned number one. Just put your InReach in your backpack.
2: Yeah, so I do. I do keep mine buried pretty deep. I've, I've. I think I've said this before, but my wife's been always pretty cool about me kind of staying in touch. Just knowing that if she doesn't hear from me in like five or six days, maybe something's wrong. But it's not a very good plan. Having the InReach, being a solo hunter like myself, is is just a game changer. Now, one thing that I would say is next year I'm going to go with more of an unlimited plan. I had all my presets in my in reach like hey big bull down here's a location um hey honey i'm back at camp everything's cool i had a couple other ones um and then i had 10 texts that i could send or receive or whatever and so i didn't use it very much and i think i'd like to be able to shoot a text every day and be able to text you know back and forth and you can go over and you just kind of get dinged for it but i think next year i'll probably go more of an unlimited plan uh just to have peace of mind but uh I also don't want to be in too much contact with everybody because I really like shutting down email, social media, text, phone call. I like shutting all that down for the month of September. It's totally kind of part of the deal for me. But, yeah, guys listening, two things you said. Don't put the inReach on the outside of the backpack. You'll see guys' pictures. Don't do that. And run tracking on On OnX Hunt, and you will uncover awesome elk trail systems. And when you lose stuff, you can go back. And find it like you did.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, uh, that was uh, that was. I, I was thinking if I can't find this, I'm totally screwed, right? Because it's just, a I got to hike out. I've hiked in. I got to hike out. And now you know, it's. I think it's just for my wife. It's me being able to you know sh- do this. It's especially having you know young child at home, just being able to reach me. Um, makes it a lot easier on me, makes it easier on her. So I was like, well, frick, where am I going to find one of these? Got to drive back to Missoula, right, and buy it. You know, they're not not inexpensive. So um was definitely saved by, by keeping my, my track on Onyx.
2: No, that's great. So you survived the wet weather. You guys only had a, like a stretch because we had, I only had like two days where it was dry. And they were more in the beginning, and then I think I had one day, like the 24th, where it was, it had rained all night, but it didn't rain during the day. Everything was still wet, but it wasn't, at least it wasn't raining. And I hunt a very rainy part of North Idaho
3: anyways, but did you get a break in the weather? I did get a break. So that, that weekend, the weather, the weather broke and had sunny days. It was really, it was really nice. It was pleasant out except the wind arrived. And so every, you know, obviously you have the thermals, but the wind a couple afternoons were just brutal. It was just blowing 30, 40. You couldn't hear a thing. I remember the last day hearing a bugle in the breaks of the wind. And I was like, I bugled and bugled. And I just, I was like, he can't hear me. I have no idea how to, where he came from. It, 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 that was frustrating. And I, I tell you, actually, I would deal with the rain versus dealing with just the persistent. 40 mile an hour winds because you just can't hear anything right so i think i have more confidence in the rain than i do in the wind yeah i like neither i like it hot in
2: september (laughs) i do i'd rather be like just in a t-shirt hunting and complaining that it's hot because the rain for the elk that i was hunting in idaho they did not like the rain they shut down completely they just they just hunkered up for days on end and then we did get some of those high the, the pressure changed the winds came in you can't hear them they can't hear you they're also pretty sensitive to the wind because it uh they can't hear as good so their guard is up and that's just not a good recipe the other thing that sucks is when a lot of times when a front moves in you'll get really swirly wind no matter where you go no matter what you the thermals should be doing those
3: days are brutal as well yeah i noticed that as well i was trying to plan like i had some areas marked and i was like trying to plan an attack and i'd ran across a cow and i she was i saw her drop into where i thought would be like a phenomenal kind of bedding area and i'm like i'm gonna sneak into there there's gotta be there's gotta be some, some you know some more animals in there and you just get on top of the ridge and you go okay the thermals are right and you get like 20 feet down and the wind switches and you get another 60 feet and it's another direction and it's so frustrating because Everyone drives home how important the wind is, and like that's something that's easy. Like just you know, you can use a little puffer, and you can you can see which way the wind's going, right? Like I don't think you should you should always be cognizant of that. Like it's it's obvious, and so always with that, you know, like the front of my mind thinking about that constantly, and then having swirling winds is just it's it's frustrating. It's, It's it's tough.
2: Yeah, man. There's really not much you can do about it either. So. So once you kind of finally dried out, did you go back into your three mile camp? Did you pull
3: the plug and go to a new area? What'd you do from there? I kind of pulled the plug. I was like, I'm not seeing any sign back here, even though like it looks really good. And so I got all these areas marked. I'm just, I'm going to pull out. And I'm going to go somewhere else. So um, that night I went up into a basin that I had marked. Um, it was surprising because the road like led right to it. I, I was like, well, I don't know, man, A road goes right here, but hey, it's close from where I'm at and I'll just go take a look and. Like, I drove up there, and it, I started walking, and it's a, it was definitely a steep climb, and I got up, and I was like, oh, man, there's sign everywhere, and, and kind of hunted till dark, and came down, go, I'm coming back in here tomorrow, and really kind of formulating a plan on how to tackle it, and so went in there the next day, and got farther in, and just frickin', like, fresh rubs and wallows, it was just insane, and that's when I heard my first bugle, it was that day, so that was, like, my third full day. Which, you know, never hearing a bugle before, it was, it was like amazing. And that was when, you know, but that was when you're like, uh-oh, okay, now, like, this is one of, like, the key questions is like, like, if you haven't heard a bugle before, it's so hard to gauge the distance, right? Is that, like, 100 yards away, 300 yards away? You know, if you hear a bugle, do you automatically just figure, I'm going to go find that animal. If it sounds too far away, you're like, ah, screw it, you know. So I, he was pretty far away. I turned around, gave it a bugle, it bugled back gave another bugle, it bugled back, but it sounded like what I would think of as like a roundup bugle because I remember it had a totally different tone and it was like, you could tell he was facing a different direction. And I was like, oh man, I think he's gone. So I bugled a couple more times, didn't hear him. Um, but I was like, hey, that's, that's positive, right? Like I'm seeing sign, I'm hearing animals. So I kind of continued to hunt my way that day, saw more and more sign, didn't hear anything else. But when I got back, I kind of was looking at the maps, to trying to figure out. I wonder where he was actually bedded at, where he where he was, or where he was coming from, where he had cows. And so the next day, similar basin, but a totally different plan of attack, and kind of how I entered it. And that's when you know I got into um, had my my one really good opportunity at a bull. So I was I was pretty happy that I was able to kind of you know find an area, hear an animal, come up with a game plan to tackle it, and. I mean, in my my view, really my first year archery hunting for elk, that having an arrow knocked ready to roll is like a success.
2: Oh, definitely. Well, let's get back to that first question, and then let me ask you a couple more about that opportunity. So deciphering how far a bugle is, what kind of bugle, what is the bull trying to communicate, all that stuff just comes with reps in the mountains, but every topography... And the type of mountains that are out there is different. I mean, some topography is steep and thick. Some is not so steep, but it's still thick. And then you got some wide open spaces. You got basins. You got burns. You got rolling hills. You got prairie. And so obviously, the steeper, the thicker, you hear a bugle, it's closer than you think. A lot of times when you go to the other end of the spectrum, the more open, the less timber, probably the chances are the further that bugle is than you think. And then somewhere in between for cross country, you know, it's got a little bit of a hybrid feel where you got some timber or pockets of timber, but it's still kind of open. I mean, I always think if I can use glass bugles are probably going to be a little bit further than you think. And if the binoculars are worthless to you, the elk are probably closer than you think. That's kind of my rule of thumb.
3: Cool. That's actually a really good rule of thumb. Yeah. That's helpful
2: but it's still not like a guaranteed and obviously elk can turn their head and bugle and so and you probably do the same when you're working bulls you can throw your bugle behind you straight out in front up in the air you can put your hand over the end to muffle it you know you can choke a bugle or you can like it's it's got a gauge but it just depends on kind of what time of day it is as well like so if it's first light, it's not even seven or eight in the morning. No, those elk are not going to be where you just heard them much longer, right?
3: Yeah.
2: But if it's midday and it's kind of a lazy bugle, you're in business. Like you're going to be able to pinpoint that elk. But I really want to pinpoint an elk before I just take off in some direction that I think is the right way. Yeah, to go. definitely.
3: And so the thing is that you. Fu- yeah. Sorry. I
2: was going to say and that requires a lot of patience. I mean. Patience is not my favorite way to hunt, but a lot of times you're going to have to sit there and wait for him to bugle again on his own, or you got to ice him for a few minutes and throw out another locator. Hell, sometimes you got to throw out some cow calls to let him know that there, you have something that he might be interested in, things like that. And then that herd gathering bugle is unmistakable. When you hear that, lace up your boots, you're, you're traveling. And yeah, I knew
3: I, was, I knew I was screwed when I heard that. I was like, oh,
2: that's not good. And he could have been pestered by other bulls making him gather his cows up. But yeah, that's actually like, it's the coolest sound on the mountain, but it's the last one I want to hear.
3: Well, the thing about too, like when you're not, you know, when you're inexperienced and you hear that bugle, like you don't have a lot of confidence. So the first thing that goes through your, through your mind is, oh my God, what if he doesn't bugle again? What is the only bugle? This is like the first thing that went through my mind was, okay day three heard a bugle what if i don't hear he doesn't bugle again that's the only bugle i hear for 10 days right maybe that's a pessimistic view but like you start thinking about that like putting pressure on to like this has to be this has to be the one right so yeah um, you know i've kind of fought that the entire time i'd hear a bugle and you just like get wound up and like oh no what happened like he's got a bugle again and like every second that ticks by you don't hear him you're like oh man like oh you know it's tricky
2: Well, and that was your first time in this country. You'll start to learn these elk and their general patterns, and you'll be a little more chill on if like. Honestly, I cannot tell you how many bugles I didn't hear this year. This year was dog shit for me in Idaho, and and I just knew the country and I knew where the elk wanted to be, and if they weren't going to where they should go, I'd have to dig in and find sign like that the the sign from today and go follow them. And so that's always kind of, um, in my, and you can do that too, Ryan, like it's, I'm not some special woodsman tracker can, <laughs> you know, it's, you just got to be able to tell which way the tracks are going and the difference between a bull and a cow and the, and the, and same with their, their droppings and just stay on them, keep the wind in your face. And then when you start getting a potential bedding ground, you got to slow way down, and they'll bugle on their they'll bugle on their own eventually, especially if you're in tight. And I think most bulls will bugle a handful of times throughout the day for the most part, unless they've been severely pressured by man or predator. But my next question is, okay, so you got this bull to answer and then you were a little bit concerned or stressed about locating him. Did you finally get him pinpointed? Or were you kind of So I
3: yeah, so I think I, I think I had him like the next day. So after I, I could tell he was gone, and I was like, you know what, I've, I'm on other side. I'm just going to kind of continue to follow my my plan and explore this basin, understanding that I kn- kind of have an idea where he bugled from. And I can go back and I can kind of figure out on a map how to better get in there and maybe like how to approach it the next day. So I kind of hunted my way out and, you know, basin looked great. There's like obviously animals around. So the next day I kind of a- attacked where I heard that, that bugle from and um, started my, working my way up um kind of on this this big bench and started coming across sign and I was like, oh this is looking really good and then freaking like 10 o'clock heard a bugle and then I got I was getting fired up right and he bugled a couple times bugled back and I started to work my way over kind of to where he was where he's coming from. The wind was in really good kind of in my favor. I heard him kind of glunking I just felt like this is awesome. And I'm working my way over to him and then from the area I came from I hear another bugle. And I was like, oh, man, this is incredible. And that time the wind started, it was kind of swirling a little bit, switching. I was like, oh, which one do I go after? So I started to work my way back towards, and you can see how my my Onyx track, it's like zigzagging back and forth across this bench, trying to decide, like, which one to, to go after. So I started to work my way towards the one I felt I had was closer, and maybe the wind was a little bit more consistent at this point. And he kind of had him bugling, and I so I started, and you know, it's, it's one of those things too. It's like blending the patience with the aggressiveness. So everyone talks about being aggressive, being aggressive, but then also you have to be patient, right? It's like, how do you, how do you, how do you kind of combine those two? But um, had them fired up. I was just, you know, raking, breaking branches. I could hear them coming down the hill. just perfect setup, right? Everyone says you want them coming down, you know, coming down towards you. And then pretty soon I start hearing cow calls. Mew, 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 mew. And I hear this bull bugling, breaking branches. Like, and I was like, to myself, I was like, is this a dream? Is this like seriously happening? I got cows on one side. I got a frickin' bull on another. I'm in between the two of them and he's coming down, obviously pissed off. And I hear him coming, and I was just like, it was like a cloud night. I couldn't believe this was happening. Um, and I hear him, like I said, raking and breaking branches. And so I'm working my kind of my way up and I just see this big yellow brown mass within like 75 yards, just bust through the trees and, and, and just freaking bolts. And obviously your heart just sinks. And I kind of like chased after it, like through some cow calls, you know, not knowing what to do. And so I pop up and there's two other hunters there. And ah. I, like, I just dropped my head. I dropped my head. I didn't even like say, I didn't even like say anything to them. I was just, And it wasn't their fault. Like they didn't know. I mean, they didn't, I mean, I probably, I'm not a very good bugler. So they probably do. I was another hunter, but what I'm sure what they did is they, they're like, Hey, we got this guy down here, freaking." acting like a big angry bull pissing you know pissing this like real bull off let's throw some cow calls and really get this guy fired up and so they were cow calling and so I, my presumption was is that this big bull i've got him fired up already he starts hearing cow calls and then just completely loses it uh, and now he's like coming down and then either he winded us or them or he saw them and he busted. Um, and I was just like, oh, you guys, I can't believe it. I had an arrow knocked. I was, like, ready to roll, and so I put my head down and just started, like, walking in the direction I came from. I was so frustrated, and then I look up, and, like, within 20 yards, there's another hunter, and he's like, oh, yeah, there's, like, two hunters behind me. The area was just, like, littered with hunters,
2: and so... Oh, my gosh. So, wait, dude, it probably wasn't your wind. If you were checking your puffer, you're working this bull, you thought you heard cows you know and it's always hard like if somebody can make a decent cow call with a diaphragm read in the mountains it's not super easy to be like oh those are hunters and i don't care what anyone says on that like i can't tell you how many times i've been wrong thinking oh that's hunters and then i'm like i eventually find out oh crap those are cows or vice versa i think those are real cows and then they're they're hunters so yeah whose wind it might have probably been theirs if they were coming in at an angle and you were that bull was on a rope to you yeah, they were like they poopy. Were
3: the yeah. yeah, if you think about like yeah, if you think about like you watch the videos talking about if you're not hunting solo hunting with a partner like the, I was I was their caller. They were using me as their caller. They were between whether they were doing it intentionally or not. Like they were between me and the elk and it was it was frustrating, but it was also like 20 minutes or even I don't even was 20 minutes. It was like the most amazing few minutes that I had like experienced. It was freaking awesome even though it didn't end with um an arrow shot.
2: Yeah, and that bull got um, some reps or some education reps. Yeah, he pieced out, and then so those two hunters were there, and then you turned around, and then there was another hunter coming in.
3: Another hunter coming, he's like, "Oh, are you with those guys behind me?" And I was like, "No." He's like, "Oh, there's two guys behind me. I go well. There's two guys up here that we just busted a bull. There's like people everywhere." So, and so I went to go tackle um, a different area, and I got up to this area loaded with sign. I let out a bugle, heard a bugle back, hunter, let out a cow call, you know, half a mile later, heard another cow call, hunter. So I was like, even though there's sign everywhere, I know there's elk in here. I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take off. Right. Because my view is, is that like, if you have elk getting educated like that, like, even though there's a lot of animals, I'm just, you know, I'm going to go find somewhere else. Um, I tried to kind of like find an area where I could maybe think about where they were getting pushed to, but it was just, it was difficult to find, fu- difficult to kind of ascertain where that would be. So decided, um, just given the level of traffic, um, I'd rather just, you know, take off and go hit another, another basin that I have marked and see what I can find.
2: Okay. Well, I like that you thought, man, where are these elk going to get pushed? But you're more patient than me. That's like six hunters in a basin, man. Like get me. Yeah. I need elk to do what they do and they're not going to do what they do with a lot of pressure like that. Um, so then you bounced out and went to a completely new area.
3: Yeah. So I, uh, I, I jumped out of there and, uh, kind of drove to some different areas, just kind of looking around. It was kind of like middle afternoon. And so wanted to get a better lay of the land and, um, went into one basin and didn't see much sign, a couple hunters. And I was like, so I completely decided that I was gonna, going to, going to, changed my game plan so I was hunting the north side of, of a range and I had a lot of areas marked on the south side so hour and a half to drive drove around the range but I'm gonna go tackle a completely different area because I was seeing seeing more people than I wanted to um which ultimately worked out because that area that I went to like there were a lot of road hunters and people on side by sides but um I was getting off the road and I had everything to myself for four days
2: that's awesome. That's what a guy needs. And it's getting harder, Ryan, to find places where there aren't people, especially on yeah. over-the-counter generals. That's why the whole fitness thing is a, is pretty relevant with the mental toughness and being okay going solo and staying in the mountains solo bivy. That's what, that's what it's going to take when you're hunting general areas, I'm quite convinced. So tell us about those last four days.
3: So the last four days um, had some areas marked. Uh, the first area I went into, I actually I had I came across a cow and I, I didn't spook her, which was good, and I saw where she was where she was what she where she was headed into, and I was like that's that's looks like a really good like bedding area, so I kind of stuck my way into there and a lot of sign, but didn't get any response. It was thick, it was like Western Washington thick. It was incredible. It was it was like I was on the Olympic Peninsula. It was amazing, um, but a ton of sign, and then just kind of had a plan of where I was going to go. Um, you know, cause every day before I was, I'd start or the night before I'd kind of mark up on X and be like, these are the areas I want to make sure I kind of hit on my way. Assuming I don't run across animals that, that, you know, kind of divert me. Um, like I want to hit like this drainage, this small basin, this ridge. And so I started mar- working my way up and, um, a lot of area that was devoid, no sign, but just kept, just kept going just put miles on and, um, started coming across sign and then heard, heard a bugle, um, like that afternoon and I got five bugles out of him. And I just think I completely botched it thinking about it after, after the fact. Right. So immediately I had such great success on that one on Friday in terms of getting them all fired up, raking and breaking branches and being really aggressive. And again, like the fear went through my head is every time he'd bugle, I'd be like, Oh, is that the last bugle I'd hear from him? this was different because I not only could I t- couldn't tell how far away he was. I couldn't actually tell exactly where he was coming from. So it was really difficult cause there was these different ridges. and I was like trying to pinpoint, you know, where, where he was. And by the time I had exactly where he was, um, he went quiet on me. So I wish now like thinking about after the fact that I probably shouldn't have been so aggressive to begin with is just kind of cow called my way towards him before, I, until I could actually pinpoint where he was at. Um, the benefit of that was is I followed I so I followed where those bugles were and then dropped me into like this just freaking elk oasis. It was like the most incredible park I'd ever seen. Rubs, massive rubs next to big wallows. It was just loaded, loaded with sign. And so spent a couple days in there. So that was kind of like one of my questions is like knowing there's animals in an area, even though it's a small area, um, like how often do you keep going in there and spreading your stink through there? You know how confident can you be going in day after day that until you get a bugle, till you find an animal that you can keep hitting it? Because um, so I went in the next day and found a cow bedded, spooked her, um, but never heard another bugle. Didn't see, didn't see a bull in there, even though I know, I know for a fact they were in there.
2: Yep, I think when you're when you're not as good a elk hunter as me, you owe it to yourself to try to only spend about a day in a drainage and then you gotta bounce out and and put them on ice. Rarely will you have a drainage that's just got like maybe a hot cow and there's five plus bulls in that one drainage. Well, maybe you do go back, you know what I mean, Ryan? (laughs) The next day, but chances are for me, I like to bounce around, but it's really tough in new areas like you're at, like that's a tough area. That's a tough deal where you're at because it's like, well, I just moved and I finally found some milk but I don't have any other options. I I would hate to hunt the same elk day after day after day when there's so much hunting pressure. It's not ideal. But if that's all you got, yeah, he, that's what
3: you got. Yeah. And the, and the advantage where I was at, like there was nobody else hunting it. It's just that it was a relatively small area, and I'd now been in there two days and hit it pretty hard. And so I was like, well, I got other areas I can explore. You know, I had all these areas marked, so I went and did that and didn't, uh, ended up hearing a bugle the last day, but it was, it was the day where the wind was really howling and, um, you know, kind of, you know, didn't, uh, wasn't able to, to do anything with it because of the wind. But that was like that day where I w- wanted to explore this basin, wasn't seeing much sign. I was like kicking myself. It was my last day. Should I just gone in and kept pounding the same small area? But, um, probably you know, understand
2: if it was your yeah. last day, yeah. um, you probably shouldn't have left elk to go find elk on your last day.
3: Um, early
2: in the hunt absolutely man put them on ice and go find more spots definitely and um you know i'm glad to hear that you basically were had the courage to go bounce around and it sounded like man you you are literally in that learning curve but you are way past the beginning you know what i mean now it's just gonna you just need a little more luck that luck could be something as simple as Maybe a hunter sleeps in and doesn't hunt the same elk that you're hunting, or maybe just maybe it's not rainy or windy and you have a couple of dry days, you know, or maybe you find the one drainage where a cow squirts and it's all bets are off, the bulls are crazy. That's just it's time, it's reps, it keeps grinding and doing. I mean, elk hunting is grinding, that's all it is. And it can be boiled down to that. And if you're willing, which it sounds like, you're going to have success.
3: And that's why it's it's so awesome because that's why it's so much like fly fishing for steelhead. Like steelhead are a fish of a thousand casts. Like you can go days without seeing a fish, hooking a fish, right? And then like out of the blue, you get this massive grab. So, you know, having done that for 20 years of my life and, you know, that takes persistence and dedication. Like this... You know, elk hunting is the same. So it was. It just seemed like such a. It's part of my personality, I guess. Right. I don't need as you talk about the instant gratification, right? It's so much better when you put in the time and the effort, and like, boom, there you go. Right? It just happens. It smacks you in the face when it finally does.
2: It will happen for you. Let's finish the podcast with me grilling you on some questions that have to do with everything 2000 or 2020, if you will. So, first question is: Have you looked at maps? of where you were hunting since you've been back and started marking up the, where you want to expand on your knowledge.
3: Yeah. So I, I immediately came back and was already looking on X Google maps and trying to think about other areas to explore, um, you know, saying like, you know, what are like the common characteristics of where I found them? Um, where can I, you know, what are similar in the area? You know, I think, I have like wanderlust and it's always cool to explore new areas. So assuming I draw a Montana tag again, I think I'd go back to that same area because I put in time, I've, I've learned it. So as much as, it is, as fun as it is to go explore new areas, to really kind of be able to build upon what I learned and, and, and really ma- most efficiently kind of use my time, like tackle these areas um, versus spending time driving around. as much as fun as it is, like new mountains, new basins is to, 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 to be able to go after those areas and, and be more focused when I do. So let's say
2: March, April rolls around and you drew a general Montana tag for 2020. Do you go back before the season and take a family camping trip and sneak in some scouting? Do you sneak in some trail cameras or stash some gear for bivving or do you put it on ice?
3: It, de- it depends. You know, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to talk to my wife. I to talk. I came back and I said... We have to buy a little cabin over there, as I told her, so um, so we can take the family over. So um, that would be the hope. We, we love to camp and you know still fish and stuff. So to go over there and, and look around even more, I don't know if I'd put trail cameras in because it's just then I'm worried about getting back into that area and pulling those out. And so that might be difficult, but it's just getting more and more familiar with every road, every trail every small little potential kind of hiding hole in that area would be my plan if I had like two or three days. And this year actually, when I drew the tag, um, a friend of my father-in-law actually used to live over in this area and it was an elk hunter. And so um, he, he hunted, it was during rifle season, but he's like, I'd love to go over there and show you my own stomping grounds. And it was different areas that we were really ended up targeting, but um, it was super helpful to, to we flew into Missoula in you know, a quick flight and spend a weekend just driving around to get the lay of the land. And, and just to have that idea like like this is what it actually looks like in person versus just on Google Earth is super helpful. So I think if I was ever to, say, draw like a Wyoming or if I was going to like decide to do Idaho um, or whatever it may be, I'd make sure I, I could find like a few days to just drive, right? Just so you go in – you know, with some idea of just what the terrain looks like was super helpful. Yeah.
2: You don't live in Ohio. You live in Washington. You're not that far. You can hop on a flight or do an all night drive and you can just get boots on the ground somewhere. Let's go worst case scenario, Ryan. You don't draw a Montana general, which could be probable. Where do you go from there? What are you thinking? A,
3: cu- a couple, I could. I've got some areas I want to tackle again in Western Washington, so it could be Western Washington because you can, you know, it's not. You can you can kill a mature bull, um, so it might be that. Um, it could be uh, your 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 somewhat your stomping grounds maybe. Um, so you know, looked. I initially looked at Idaho doing you know over the counter, but um, when I drew the Montana tag, that kind of I pivoted on that. Yeah. Um, so it'd be it'd be one one of the two. Um, I might also, my, uh, my stepdad has property up outside of Colville and I know that they're like the, the like the ghosts, the elk that live up there in that area, but they're around. So I might actually just, you know, maybe, uh, uh, maybe go do that. So I think to be determined, yeah. um, in terms of how I, how I tackle it. But like, I got back and I was looking at like Gohan and going like, you know, making sure my Wyoming stuff was all set up. So I'm getting points there and just, you know, just, just, just planning my, my next how many years. Right.
2: So you got your mind right. All right. Well, let's talk about your mind. Where did you struggle mentally
3: that you would like to improve upon for next year? The biggest thing is actually is so like, I'm, I don't mind being alone and I don't mind like hunting solo. So what, what actually held me back was like, what if I got an animal down six miles in seven miles in, um, what would I do? How would I get this out? Like, that was a mental barrier I couldn't get past. So there's areas I wanted to hit. And I was like, you know, it's probably having never killed an animal before, let alone a big elk. It was probably prudent to, to be, to err on the conservative side in terms of how far in I was going. Um, and so making sure that like mentally prepared to like go in as far as I need to go that, you know, um, and, and explore other areas. You know, physically, I could do it. I just was worried about like getting an animal out by myself and and such. Just putting putting myself in a bad position. It's not fair to the animal, really, right? So, um, and then number two was is um along those same lines is that uh, I tended to tended to get myself or hike my way out um, before before dark. And like, I don't mind. Like, I'm not scared of the dark or anything. But it was like that same thing. Like, if I'm four miles in. And I hunt till like eight o'clock and dark and I do get an animal down or I shoot, you know, shoot something late. Like I'm by myself. How am I going to, how am I going to you know, track it, break it down, get it out? Like those were things that I think kind of held me back that either it's mentally preparing for, or it's maybe finding someone to, to hunt with. If I did, I'd it, be more like, I'm going to go here. You're going to go, you go there. If you need help, something happens, I'm going to, we, we can come help each other, but um you know i I like to be able to kind of like go where i want when i want and kind of do what i want so that's why maybe i'm just selfish but that's why i like to to to, to go out solo
2: solo's where it's at baby i can tell you i don't have to go over it i've i've stated my case but let's talk about both those things real quick and i think this is super important so dig in on this ryan if you're gonna hunt steep and deep and you're gonna go solo you need to have that in reach and you need to have done your research to figure out packers. Um, Ryan Lampers is a good example. He has had many elk in Washington, our state, killed so ridiculously far back. There's no way he's getting it out. And he's he knows the packer. He's made arrangements prior to. And I don't can't even tell you how many elk he's had packed out by animals with no shame in his game. The other thing is... If it's not too far, you can get it out in three days. It'll take you three days, but you're going to have to get your meat by a creek with some shade and one foot in front of the other. But I never want you to think about, what if I kill an elk here again? It's a great problem to figure out once you've done that. And then lastly, the the podcast I did with um, Anthony, It's you haven't heard it yet. It's coming out in a couple, I think this Friday. But when I sat down, when I sat down with him and went over his maps when we were not recording obviously at this point he was wasting currency traveling to and from his truck or his camp to get to where the elk are at. I like the idea of spiking out or in truly bivvying out in the same area maybe two days that way you can hunt till absolutely dark dark and then just hike up to the ridge or you can camp right where you're at and then you're back in there the next day. Not only do you save energy, but everybody's guilty of leaving early because they have a long hike out at night, right?
3: If you- Yeah, and I'm the, yeah I was the same boat. So, you know, I was I had planned, like you plan all along, I'm gonna like spike out, I mean, you know, and you just end up, I ended up like, when hitting these smaller areas, Go, well, I can do it in a day. Well, even if you can do it in a day, it's awesome to be able to like, maybe hike a mile, you get, get, get a little bit of a distance away from your scene elk and just set up camp. And so that's kind of like, you know, I think it's something about next year's being more aggressive and willing to just like constantly carry camp on my back, whether I think I'm going to use it or not yes. so that I have it. Right. Don't, don't plan to like, never plan to be back at the truck. Right. Just have it on your back.
2: Yeah. Well said. I don't think we need to say anything else about that. It's just a matter of more like interval elk hunting, hit this spot, hard two days tops and be ready to go to the next spot, and you're probably not going to make it back to the truck. And if you do, you do, but um, it adds up, Ryan. If you add up a 10-day hunt and you missed out on 20 minutes that are probably the most amazing 20 minutes of elk hunting if you're in on them, that adds up quickly over 10 days so um, and the
3: miles too right so if you're like two, two and a half miles in and you freaking you found the you found the oasis well now you're two and a half miles out two 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 and a half miles back in in the morning before you're really in them again so.
2: you'll get you'll get more sleep i mean i actually did my own advice this year like i actually spent more nights in a tent than ever before and it was literally because i was wasting energy and i was tempted to start hiking out early and that and that that's not going to get it done Okay, let's talk about your nutrition, your energy levels, your fitness. What are your What's your roadmap for twenty twenty as far as your fitness and, and all that stuff goes?
3: So nutrition's never been an issue for me, so it's just more like it's being it's being active. Part of it is I'm like a desk jockey, and second is I just for me like doing repetitions always been difficult. It's like so, I where I live, I live at about nine hundred feet, so I can just hike down and do eight. Hundred to a thousand feet of elevation gain um, in an evening, and that I love doing. Getting ready for, just putting on the putting on the pack, like stepping up on a box, doing some of those repetitive exercises. It was more difficult for me mentally, just to to stay to kind of stay in the game, um, just because it's just one of those things. Like I just, you know, just love walking and, and exploring. So at least having the, even though it was road, I drive up up and down every day. Just like walking, just seemed seemed so much more enjoyable. So um, the biggest key is making sure maintaining kind of the level that, that I had going into September. Um, and then just, you know, kind of tackling, even though it may come across as monotonous, but making sure tackling, whether I'm doing box step-ups or whatever it may be, um, on a very frequent basis. Because um, what would be terribly disappointing is to put in all this work ahead of September, lose it, and then having to start scratch from scratch again, like in the springtime. No and doubt. so maintaining maintaining that level, and then thinking, if I maintain that level... You know, the months leading into September, it's actually building upon that level and being in better shape. Um, you know, in 2020, even though 2019 it, I was better shape, I've been in years. And I just continue to grow upon that. Like, so that's going to be a focus of mine. Okay. So, do you have a garage gym? I do. I kind of have, yeah, I have a, some kettlebells, sandbags. I build a box. Um, and it's pretty simple. But um, you know, I need to expand it a bit. So I like doing like active. Problem is, I like you know, what can I do that's like active um, and challenging, and it just kind of takes away from the repetitiveness. That's just what I've always struggled with.
2: Yeah, definitely
3: keep keep building. Do you have your eye on your next thing for your uh, garage gym? I, I don't. It's something I've, I've kind of thought about. What am I missing, or what I enjoy doing? Like for me, like rowing, like maybe getting a rowing machine. I don't know. You know, what's gonna give? What's gonna be the most bang for my buck in more ways, right? So from a dollar perspective, but just in terms of just like being beneficial from a fitness level. So um, like, you know, maybe a rowing machine because I've always, I just rode boats my entire life. So something like that Definitely. Um, would be interesting. Um, you know, something that um, you know to change it up from doing like step ups. Right. So how do I do something that, I can do step ups for 10, 15, 20 minutes and I can go do a rolling machine for 10, 15, 20 minutes to break it up because with the problem with the boxes, like you're just kind of, all the exercises are, are very similar, right? So, yeah. um, trying I mean, to like find variety is key for me.
2: You remember the test out workout that we did at camp?
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. If you were to do that workout today, would you crush your original score?
3: Oh, definitely. Definitely.
2: Do you remember that assault bike?
3: Uh, Yes. <laughs> yes.
2: I would recommend one of those, hashtag not sponsored. Uh, those <laughs> things, I have one in my garage, and that's like the, the, the most bang for the buck. There's no mastery of the Assault Bike. It's just you and the bike, and it's a fan bike. It's total body. It's a gasser. Your your heart and lungs will bleed every time, and it's a little bit cheaper than a rower. Um, cool. And, I, and the Assault Bikes, I I had several at the gym, but I've had one at my house, and nothing's ever broke on it they're pretty durable for, I would say at a CrossFit gym, those things were breaking all the time, but you got a lot of people on them, but yeah. ours has never broke. Okay. Calling, calling and making authentic elk sounds. Do you have a diaphragm rate in your vehicle right now?
3: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I still like, I still like out of the blue, sitting in traffic my way home. It's like just do it for five, 10 minutes. Right. Is- so, um, yeah, I, those, those go everywhere with me. Well, parting advice for those that are listening and haven't, bitten
2: the bullet and come out west yet what do you got
3: for them i think the biggest advice is is yeah there's a lot i don't know there's a lot so it's obviously preparation and i think like the camp does that so well like because it tackles everything you need to prep for so like if you haven't done it before and you attend a camp like you're gonna you're gonna know you can figure out the archery the calling the fitness like the key the really the key areas and then it's really put in obviously the effort in terms of like for me i just love de-scouting and the fact of the matter is, is is spending. My wife's looking at me like every night, going, "All you do is start maps every night." I was like, "Yeah, this is awesome." Um, and like just having confidence that if something runs amuck in terms of area, I want, I want to, I want to hit. Like I have, a, I have, a, I have a really lengthy game plan. Um, and then obviously just do it, right? Like that's that's the key. Buck pony up and do it. And when I say that, like the time, the effort, it's obviously the money. Um, you know, I mean, I'm. 38 years, 37 years old, like I think we are similar age, but like there's probably not a lot of adult onset hunters out there. Like it's very intimidating. Don't let it intimidate you. Right. So just, just do it. If you want to do it, go.
2: Perfect, man. Thanks for taking the time. I know we're taking out of your family time, but appreciate you coming on and let's stay in touch, Ryan. I really enjoy you. And I just am dying for you to have success. And I know you will. And I can't wait to get that text someday, maybe 2020 next to your elk and um hit me up anytime you want we're we'll talk offline here for a second but guys ryan petzold elk shape camp graduate hit the montana hit it hard you can tell he's a student of the game and he's only going to get better so look out elk ryan thank you for your time
0: cool thanks man hey elk hunters Corey jacobson here from elk101.com and if you're like me you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic. From planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between, the University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE all one word when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today.
2: Thanks for listening guys. Want to thank Ryan Petzl for coming on today and sponsoring a spot for the Elk Shape Camp 3.0. Appreciate that, man. You got a heart of gold, good luck 2020. I hope you guys are out there creating your roadmap for 2020 success. It starts yesterday work hard in the name of better elk hunting keep grinding towards your goals if you want to support the podcast give us a five-star review on itunes it only takes a second and it goes a long ways check out the elk shape store for some swag we got some podcast hoodies that might come in handy might bring you some luck luck is nothing but hard work residue thanks for listening we'll catch you on the next one